Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, November 29th. Think of others not as your competitors, but as your colleagues, even when working in the same field of endeavor as they. A thousand rivulets conjoining become a mighty river. Thus, indeed, are great civilizations born. Swamiji has often commented he is a much more profound student of history well, he's a profound student of history and I am not. I won't say more than I because from zero to anything would be more than I. But he is a profound student of history. He's, he's, he's classically educated is how I would put it. Plus he's just a, a wide, widely read and a deep thinker. And he's often commented how many movements, how many times the world has been shifted in a, in a fundamental way when, when a group of people work together with a new idea. Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, all the, all the artists in Florence, Gertrude Stein and her group of, of writers on, in the, was it the Left Bank, left bank in Paris? Um, Henry David Thoreau on the East Coast with his group with Emerson and the other philosophers that were there in my lifetime in, uh, in San Francisco. There was a, a group of beatnik poets, Lawrence Ferlinghetti and I believe Gary Snyder was a piece of that, and the other one I can't remember right at the moment, but Jack Kerouac, they were all like a group, and they created a social movement. And of course, if you really want to get big about it, well, let's do one more. The Russian Revolution was actually a very small group of people, but they were all strongly united and worked together. And uh, if you really want to go to the biggest one, think of Jesus Christ and his 12 disciples. That wasn't very many folk but they all were deeply committed to a single idea. And from that, um, enormous influence can take place. Now, of course, not everybody in the world is working on a revolution, but let's assume that, w- that everyone who's reading this book, well, we can assume it, I think, with validity, is, is operating from the idea of developing and expressing high ideals in their lives. And one of, one of the... The cornerstones of having high ideals is the hope that by example and by vibration others will be influenced. One of the themes that is, runs all through this book of living wisely, living well, is how to influence others, how to uplift others, how to be of benefit to others, you know, how to have strength in yourself so your very vibration will be uplifted. We can't separate personal expansion of awareness from the necessity to serve others with whatever truth we know. That's one of the ways we expand our awareness. So it becomes a a self-supporting system. It's the nature of joy to want to share itself. Um, That that was the answer that Swami has given when people ask, why did God create the world? And the traditional Sanatana Dharma answer is to enjoy himself through many. Well, it's self-evident, as Swamiji said, that he's not enjoying himself through very many. So that doesn't really satisfy 
Because when people say, why did God make creation? It's usually because it's kind of a mess here. And people are really suffering. Why would God do this to us? Is how it sounds. But when you come to the Sanatana Dharma principle that bliss is our true nature and it's only a lack of awareness that causes us to be unaware of that bliss. And as our awareness continues to expand step by step, we discover that this suffering is a misunderstanding on our part and that our true nature is really that bliss nature. And insofar as we are not aware of it, it's not because of its absence. It's because we are doing something that keep us from experiencing it. So all of that being said, it's the nature of joy to want to share itself. I mean, all of us, I, I'm almost compulsive in that way. It's very difficult for me to take something that I'm going to enjoy without at least trying to bring as many people as I'm able to into it everybody if I can. Swami Kriyananda himself said he knows, you know, rationally and logically that not everyone on the planet is ready for the teachings of self-realization from his guru that he's here to represent. But I like to think, Swamiji said, that if I could just explain it in just the right way from just the right angle, everybody would accept it. And then he said again, I know that that may not be realistic, but it motivates me to keep trying. And it's, it's just that same impulse. It's just really literally an uncontrollable influence, uh, Im, uh, impulse to share whatever brings you joy with everybody else. And uh, that the, your own joy is, is incomplete without that effort to share it. I've certainly been in circumstances for, where, where for various reasons, well, there was one in particular that I remembered, and for reasons that are too complicated to explain, I had to keep my participation under wraps. I wasn't exactly incognito, but it was actually a complicated situation involving lawyers. So I had to keep my involvement under wraps. But I, I was privy to a, a really wonderful experience of, I had unique access to films and photographs of Paramhansa Yogananda, unique within my community, not unique in the world. And I enjoyed it, but I simultaneously just didn't enjoy it at all because I had not been allowed to share it. It was really dramatic, and I had to keep fighting with my own mind that I could just relax and enjoy it, but I couldn't because I felt so guilty about it. Guilty? I felt so sad about it is what I really felt. I just felt so sad because joy, it's the nature of joy to want to share itself. So now Swami takes this, think of others not as your competition, but as your colleagues, even if you're working in the same field. And then he he talks about, you know, all these little rivulets can become a mighty flow of energy. So as I was saying when I went on this that diversion, the whole premise of this book is that we're trying to do something good with our lives, something lasting that will be helpful to others. So even if our our vocation, for example, might in and of itself be mundane rather than central to the sharing of, of a spiritual path. If we're an honorable businessman, if we're concentrated and careful in our work, if we provide a good product, whatever that might be, whether it's our intellectual or, or physical or whatever it is, if we provide a product that people want, you know, at a good price, 
All of this can help um, uplift the world because it's operating at a higher level of awareness, ethics, quality, than might be the lowest end of it. And so everybody who's working in any arena related to the one I'm working on, we can all work together. You know, it, yes, we have to support our families, and yes, if, if someone buys the soap from you, they won't buy the soap from me. But if we, if we can expand our sense of self to know that if everyone is uplifted, everyone gains. So instead of always thinking, if you get it, I lose, we think about it, we're all in this together. You see, what's gotten us in so much trouble on this planet is we have completely forgotten that we're all in this together. The first time I traveled outside of a developed Western nation, which was when I went to India in 1986, I had been to Europe. I didn't have a passport until I was in my mid-30s, so I wasn't a young traveler. I only left the country at that point, and first I traveled in Europe, and shortly after that, I, I went to India. So India was the first time, especially in 1986, which was now, you know, what is that, 40, you know, not more than 40 years ago, big change period in the whole planet and in that country. But still overpopulation, which is still there, overpopulation and insufficient resources. And a kind of, a lot of people who incarnate into those circumstances, we just don't have that same population to, to the same extent in the USA that you, that you see everywhere there. So it was the first time I'm in a comfortable air-conditioned bus looking out the window, but I'm looking at a view that I've never seen before. The word overpopulation just in itself was, oh, that's overpopulation. <laughs> I mean, I'd heard it lots of times, but I, you see some of the, Calcutta, for example, you see some cities in India, Varanasi, Oh, that's what overpopulation looks like. There's a lot of people in a very small space. There's a lot of people competing for resources. But I knew, because I, ha I did know something of the world, that we have all the resources in the world for everybody. There's no reason for anybody on the planet to be hungry. There's no reason for anyone on the planet to suffer in the way that so many people suffer in terms of deprivation, lack of access, it's all there. The only thing that's, what, that the resources are not missing, what's completely missing, is the commitment to an equitable distribution of it. And I, I, I differ from people who, who believe in politics. I don't believe that if we just set up a system and enforce it with enough violence, we can force people to be good. That just creates a whole host of of other horrors that won't do it. it. It can't be imposed from the outside because then a whole different kind of oppression begins as you saw in Stalin's Russia and it still takes place under many totalitarian regimes even now. What's needed is a change of consciousness. We have to want to share. We have to want to be different. And it's complicated. I'm not naive. It's very complicated. But that first trip to India, I was already, I'd been involved with Ananda for more than, well, not quite 20 years at that point, deeply involved. But it, it solidified even, it took to a deeper level of myself, my profound commitment 
to trying to change consciousness because that was, that was, as I could see, the most politically active thing I could do to save the world. I consider myself to be one of the most politically active people that I know, even though I have to confess, until recently, I often didn't even vote because I just didn't, it wasn't my world. It wasn't where I thought change was going to come. I would always vote and do vote when I think that something really important is at stake just to put that in. But the point is, we're all united in this effort. I, I mean, we all, meaning everybody I'm talking to, everybody who has picked up this book and has made it to November, unless you started in November. <laughs> you want something better for yourself and for the world. You do. And so how are we going to get there? We have to just change our mindset. I am part of a greater reality. I am a part of all that is. To share is not to lose. In Swamiji's book, this very excellent book, which is called Affirmations for Self-Healing, he has, there's an affirmation here about sharing. And it just says quite simply, you know, to, to give to someone is not to lose. He ta- has an affirmation about generosity, about kindness. What may, you know, we give to our children. We give to our parents. We give to our friends. We sort of draw a little circle around us. I'll share with these people and not more. But when our awareness increases, we begin to realize, where, where is the edge? Where is the edge where I cease to be part of this greater reality? Yes, we have karma, and we have responsibilities for certain individuals. I'm, again, I'm not naive. And human nature, you have to work with human nature. You can't just declare to people, as people have tried. They've tried to set up communal systems where you know, the children have no specific parents and where there's no monogamy. Uh, Plato famously tried to put some of his ideas into action. He had a, a wealthy patron who wanted to allow him to put his utopian community into action. It's a, a well-kept secret that it was an absolute catastrophe. People still study his ideas as if they had validity, but they've been tested, and they don't, because he was just violating human nature. So we have to work with human nature and step-by-step to expand it. And Swami, this is so simple. Can think of those, don't think of others as competitors. Think of them as colleagues. We're all in this together. We're all trying to provide a service. We're all trying to provide a product. And above all, we're all trying to behave with honor, with generosity, with kindness, with goodness. We're all trying, we're all on the same journey to ever greater awareness. And let us not try to make make ourselves tall by cutting off the heads of others. Let us all just walk together in, and then that rivulet, rivulet will become a great ocean and in that all of us will expand and receive. So Swami says, think of others not as your competitors but as your colleagues even when working in the same field of endeavor as they. A thousand rivulets conjoining become a mighty river. Thus, indeed, are great civilizations born. Joy to you. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.